Perhaps you caught word yesterday, yes, Chris Huskin uh, harangued me into another 5K mud run. This is an annual thing that he bullies me into, and because he's a fellow elder and the guy who owns our gym, I go. Um, uh, it's called uh, The Rugged Maniac, and we, uh, we drove to, uh, with a team of people, really, it wasn't just Chris and I, it included uh, his son, Gabe. And uh, we have a picture here of the, the team and uh, a couple of the young ladies from the gym. And uh, this is a 5K run with 25 obstacle barriers slash things that, uh, that, tr- that challenge your manliness. And, uh, and for me, really, uh, uh, it challenges me on a couple levels. Um, uh, here's another. Here's, uh, Gabe's here this morning, so he'll love this. Um, this is Gabe crawling through mud. And... Uh, and then here's Chris and I looking really bold and strong old men. It was fun. And what we do is you, you ring the bell and then you drop into this bucket of ice water. It's really, really amazingly cold. Um, we, my friends, at any time we participate in this exercise for the joy of it, believe it or not. It really is fun. I was saying as we were riding home yesterday um, that one of the reasons I love going to those things is that there's such a spirit of camaraderie. You know, and in the world which we live in, where there's just so much division, and if you read anything on the internet that's related to news or events, it's like, you know, I hate you, well, I hate you more, and and it's just so ugly and awful that it's fun to go to these things where people are, like, mutually encouraging. It's kind of like the best part of humanity gets exposed. You know, people you don't know go, you're awesome, way to go. And you're like, thank you, I am awesome, and I will go. You know, it's just, it's just terrific. It's just a fun experience. But it serves as a motivator con- to continue being fit because we're going to do these every year. And if I let it go too far, I won't make it through one of these. It, it serves as well as a barometer for my health because last year I, I did the, the uh, gladiator run, which in and of itself makes me feel manly that I was a gladiator. And, uh, and, and, and at the end of it, though, I was like woozy. You know, it's like, uh, and Chris's wife, Lori, who works at the gym too, she was like, I was, you know, she was like worried about me because I was like, hey, I think I'm going to walk over here. And, and, and I really wasn't all there. But yesterday I was fully lucid after the race. So I'm making progress, I have to say. And today what I want to do is, is talk about the barometer of our spiritual health. You know, you can do different things to gauge how healthy you are physically. You know, you can get on the scale. Uh, you can measure how hard you're working at the gym by how many times you go. Uh, there's all sorts of things you can do. Spiritually speaking, there are times where we have to step back and say, how healthy are we? And because we had a congregational meeting today, uh, this sermon in many ways is really a, a part of that assessment of how healthy are we as a church? I think there are some markers that you can look at and say, when the Spirit of God is really moving amongst a group of people, here are some things that are general exhibits, things that uh, tend to be evidences of the real Spirit of God working in our midst. We're studying in the book of Acts now in our uh, sermon series, and we are in the second part of Acts chapter 4. Acts 3 and 4 go together. It's one flowing event. In Acts 3, there's a healing and then there's a sermon, and people come to Jesus, lots of miracles. Acts 4, the beginning of it, as we talked last week, uh, Peter and 
uh, John get jailed by the religious leaders because this is the first time they've seen a massive response to their teaching and they're concerned and worried and they get bullied. But then Peter and John, by the grace of God, boldly stand up to the cultural powers in their world. And, and now we're into what they do after that. All right? And at the end of our passage, it says that in Acts, 4, in Acts 4.31, that they ran back to their people and prayed. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, immediately after they were released from custody, they couldn't wait to get back to their people and to the spiritual community, and share the good news about what God had done. And then because they were all together, they were in sync, what happened was is now these, the, the, the atmosphere was such that the Spirit moved powerfully. This is real, super reflective of their experience in, in, at Pentecost. You see the same sort of movement. There's a physical uh, experience of the Spirit shaking. And so it begs the question, why does and when does shaking occur? Um, and shaking in our life can mean just a, 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 an awakening of sorts in our lives. Or it could be the presence of a, of a miracle of some sort. But you have to ask why. I mean, did they just rotely say a prayer like many of us grew up saying little prayers? And is that what happens? And then shazam, you get a miracle? Well, what we see in this passage and in Scripture in general is that God's movement is a byproduct of a church community where individual members are engaged themselves with the Holy Spirit, that they're sensitive to the Spirit's movement in their own life, and then they come together and with the shared experiences of what the Lord's doing in our lives, how He's working in our lives, when that happens, they together experience a communal spiritual health that leads to prayer, that leads to seeking God, and that's when God begins to move. And on this day where we joined as a congregation to discuss the health and future vision of our church, um, it seems appropriate that we'd use our text today as a bit of a diagnostic tool. All right, how, how healthy is our church? How healthy am I? And what we see first and foremost in our passages, that healthy churches cry out to Christ communally. This is one of two th evidences you see of a healthy group of believers. Their propensity to pray together, their, their compulsion to do it. It's, it's almost like second nature. Well, we need to pray about that. I'd like you to pay particular attention in this passage to the number of times the word they gets used or pronouns that are used that express a collective work in, in, the, in the community. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Healthy churches cry out to Christ as a group. Communal prayer is part of the experience. And it's significant, all these references today, when you think about the book of Acts, it's a historical document written by Luke, 
the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, in order for him to know these things, he was journeying along with the apostles as these things took place. So by virtue of the nature of the book itself, everything happened in community. And it's a shame that our individualistic culture cheats so many out of the notion that they need other people to grow spiritually. Pastors will hear this often. People say, well, I'm not really involved in a church because I don't need the church to grow spiritually and to be spiritual. And if you're talking about being a Christian, um, there's no way to get away from the declaration that we need each other, that you need others more than you know, and others need you. It's not all about you. But if you're a part of a church community, the Bible describes it as a body, you're a part of a body, and somebody else is a part of a body, and without you, that body isn't going to work. All right, so there's no way to do that. Practically speaking, I've often said, you know, it, no one can be a Christian and grow on their own. I mean, I've had, actually had somebody say to me, all I need is my Bible, and I can listen to sermons online. And I want to ask them, when they say this, and I'm generally pretty kind, so I don't. I'm like, listen, when you say the Bible, did you discover the Greek manuscripts and translate that into English for yourself? Because if not, you got some help somewhere. You didn't do this on your own. That sermon you're listening to online, do you think that, you know, that magically got dropped from heaven? That pastor, who's way better at preaching than your pastor, um, he worked really hard to develop that sermon. So you're dependent on him. So we're never independent of other people. We need other people to survive and live in this world. And spiritually, that is absolutely the case. The New Testament says they did life together as a spiritual community. An interesting side note, but it's really substantial because it provides the foundation for what they're going to pray as a church. One thing we see clearly here is that they were certain about who inspired David to write the scriptures he penned, which they actually are going to recite in faith. And it's, we highlighted it there for your enjoyment. It says, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit speaks through God's ordained prophets. And at our church, we revere and hold on to scripture as God's authoritative word because Jesus did. He quoted the Old Testament as if it was authoritative. When he combated the devil and his temptation in Matthew 4, he uses the authoritative, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword word of God. And then you see the apostles quoting it, and now the whole community is talking about how the Spirit is actually the one who inspired David to write Psalm 2, which is what they're quoting here. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, we believe that genuine Christianity requires all of us to follow Jesus by following God's Word because that's how we would know what Jesus actually said. Otherwise, you're kind of making it up as you go. Like you think Jesus said this, and that's no more authoritative than anybody else's interpretation. I have an old friend, and she's like super into yoga, and one time she told my wife and I that she just thought Jesus did yoga too. And we were like, okay, well, how do you know that? And, and just in her mind, she thought she could create this world where Jesus did what she wanted him to do. 
And, and that's super prevalent in our culture where people go, you know, I just think Jesus is like this. We believe as a church and historic Christianity would hold that Jesus in the scriptures gets to describe who he is. It is who God revealed him to be. And scripture is what points us to what we believe and what we think. And Prism is a scripture affirming church. God's word is the final authority for our lives and our practice of faith. Uh, We look to scripture in our corporate worship. We look to scripture in our community groups. And so today we look to scripture and we say, what is it that we see that God wants us to know? And what God is telling us to do is we should be praying. They, the entire group collectively called out to God. Their experience with the resurrected Christ led them to exalt his name and praise, but also to continuously petition him in later verses for even more boldness. They, they took prayer seriously. And until we crave the same, until we see that manifest in our lives, I think it would be presumptuous of us, presumptuous of us to assume that we would see any kind of Holy Spirit shaking in our midst. Uh, more immediately, I think our church can use our, our compulsion to cry out together in prayer or the lack thereof as a barometer of our spiritual hunger and thirst for God. And I know practically from my own experience as a believer, and I know this is true for some of you, uh, that uh, one reason many of us don't pray passionately is that we don't fully understand the role we play through our prayers. Particularly those of us who come from a Reformed and Presbyterian church world, we have a super high view of God's sovereignty. We believe passionately that, that God has ordained everything that has come to pass, as the scriptures say. But sometimes what that can do is that can leak some of the energy out of you. You, you begin to think, well, why bother praying if God's sovereign? But scripturally, what we're told is that he's, God has given us the responsibility to be people of prayer and that many of his blessings, he wants to bring those about in our lives and in our church through and as a result of our participation with him in prayer. So yes, he is sovereign over all things, but part of his plan to bring things that he wants into the world He's planning on using you as the conduit through which that happens. He, he has said this. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul when he speaks to the Corinthians. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. And here we go with the charge. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Uh, God wants to do the amazing in your life and the amazing in your church, but it will come as a result of our corporate commitment to prayer. Uh, In our community groups, uh, in our monthly prayer meetings, um, in our individual lives, there is just no way to assess a church 
as healthy from a biblical standpoint if the church does not cry out to Christ communally in groups of people within the church. Psalm 149, verses 17 through 19 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His words. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Now, I must confess to you that in seasons of ministry life for me, that are coming up on 25 years, there have been large portions of it where I was very neglectful in my pastoral calling to be a man of prayer. It's clear in Scripture that elders and pastors are supposed to be people who are committed to the Word and to prayer, and I've been, I found much more joy and camaraderie in studying Scripture and theology with others as opposed to really digging in and being a, a warrior for people in prayer. Now, there have, I've seen greater fruit in that area of my life in the last decade But I know how easy it is for us to just think because we are affluent and things generally come to us pretty easily and we are gifted by God that we can just kind of do this on our own. And it's very, uh, it's a a dangerous place to be in spiritually when you stop actively depending on God for what you need in life. When you begin to subtly think, I got this. I really don't need to call on him for everything, really. Uh, Oswald Chambers is the great British devotional writer. He, he said this, The natures that make the finest saints make also the most exhausted ones unless they keep true to the life hid with Christ in God. Our peril is the exhaustion which results from the thousand and one interests and demands, often legitimate, but which sidetrack us from prayer and the ministry of the Word. Healthy churches cry out to Christ communally. Here's the second evidence. And again, there are lots of evidences of a healthy church. These are but two of them. All right. The second is that healthy churches are confident in Christ's control. They're confident that Christ is in control. Verses 25 through 28. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Now this is Psalm 2, and I'll stop real briefly and let you know when they stop quoting Psalm 2 and when they jump into their own prayers in their own context. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now there you stop. All right, that's the they have quoted from Psalm 2 as part of their prayer. Now they're going to go on about their own experience. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is an amazing prayer. King David had seen Israel attacked on all sides and through his experience, both through praying to God desperately, and then watching God come through, he'd actually come to believe that people were fools for picking a fight with the living God, and that's a wise place to be. Uh, The early church evidenced their health by virtue of their meditation on what was true according to God's word, which built their faith to know that they could trust him in all situations. But see, they didn't just stop with David's experience in Psalm 2. They transitioned in that passage to recall 
that the power of Rome and the Gentiles and the leaders of Israel all conspired against Jesus. But as we see in verse 28, they celebrated that evil people only served the Lord's plan. God allowed them to crucify Jesus for the sake of all who would ever call on the name of the Lord. And once again, we recognize why we talk about the gospel so much here at Prism Church. The gospel isn't just Jesus getting us into heaven. In the gospel, we see God's power over all circumstances and people who would put you in those circumstances. We can see Christ's death serve as an example of God's sovereignty over evil. And of course, in it, we see the genuine love that God has for his children. The early church was amazed as they saw Christ's power to change lives evident in their midst. Do you know that we have that happening all the time? And there's one reason why we don't know it's happening. It's because we're not particularly connected to other people. And we're not particularly connected to other people in prayer, praying for them. And when that happens, we become isolated we don't know what's going on. We start to lose faith that God is actually still moving powerfully in people's lives. And then we start thinking, well, why bother praying? I don't even know if God's answering prayers anymore. And one of our problems is just a simple lack of attentiveness to God's presence in our own lives. And this attentiveness is nurtured and fostered through prayer. But the absence of it creates anxiety and a tendency to forget that God's moving, that God has moved. Michael Horton, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary, has authored a book that I really enjoyed called Ordinary, and he said this, God works through ordinary means every day in so many ways that we don't even notice his involvement and our complete dependence on him in each and every moment. The connection between a life of prayer and a life of peace that is confident in Christ's control, they, they can't be separated Prayer and peace are inseverable. See, it's in meditating on the presence of God's Spirit in your life and the truth of His Word that we remember who Jesus is. And as we talked last week and say again today with joy, fear disappears in the presence of one big enough to solve your problem. Fear disappears in the presence of someone big enough to solve your problem. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians 1, by the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verses 15 through 17, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let me put it in our words. Jesus has got this. He's in control. He's on the throne. He is, according to Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And the, the early church, because they saw the resurrected Christ, the apostles and many of the original believers, and because they were seeing the miracle-working power of the Spirit in their midst, they had high levels of confidence that he was in control. They celebrated his sovereignty. 
beginning with what they saw at the cross and what that means for believers to be redeemed by virtue of actions taken against Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And it should be a great source of peace for us. Healthy churches, confident in Christ's control. This is just one more gauge, one more way. We see how healthy are we? Are we able to face difficulties and challenges? Do we see change as an opportunity for God to work? Or do we see it as an irritation uh, uh, because my plan had something different happening altogether? One of the other monitors I have for my health is a thing called the MyZone monitor. It's this belt I wear around my chest when I'm uh, working out, and there's this little thing you attach to it. And through an app on my phone, I can be playing basketball, I hit this little button, and I can come over and check my heart rate. And one of the other things it does is it tells you how hard you're working. So like there are different colors for what percentage of effort you're giving. Like if you have blue on the screen, you're not doing a thing and you're going to be blue. So then there's green, which is like, okay, you're going, you know, and then there's yellow, like, okay, we're getting close to being on top and out. And then you get in the red, you know, and that's never a good sign, but in the workout world, it is. And and you got to understand that no one knows this is going on when I'm playing basketball on Friday mornings with a bunch of old guys. But when I go to the gym, they've got TVs like this all over the place. And on the screen is your name and the effort you're making as you work out. So like the public shaming to get you to actually put more work in. The lady who leads our, this, this high-intensity class, she'll actually turn around and look at the monitor in the middle of the class and go, oh, come on, you can do better than that. You know, it's like, gosh, this is a lot of peer pressure to keep it up. And, and my point is that in physical fitness, these kind of things are, they, it's easy to monitor how much effort. There's no way to fake uh, that you're really putting in the work. In the church world, it's a whole lot more difficult. I mean, it's super easy for us to say what we need to say and sort of act like we're really engaged spiritually. The only way that we know whether or not the Lord is working in our life is if we're seeing the fruit of His Spirit moving in our life, if we're seeing the fruit of what Scripture says, this is what healthy believers do. This is how they look. Healthy believers pray. Healthy believers experience peace. And these are the gauges. And we might be able to fool each other, say the right words, voice the right Christian speak, but God genuinely knows our hearts. You might say to yourself, well, what do I do now, Chuck? Thanks. Uh, I feel bad. Well, I, I don't want you to feel bad just for feeling bad, but the question is, what do you do once you realize my heart really isn't evidencing these things. I'm not passionately pursuing the Lord in prayer, and I am uh, not really at peace when things don't go my way. Well, the key to that is, are you enjoying the presence of God? See, in, in Hebrews 4, it says, in our difficulties, that Jesus has pre- prepared a way, he has made a way so that we can enter into his presence to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. So the real question is, are we going to love God by virtue of encountering and knowing and enjoying him as he's made possible in the gospel? Learning about ourselves as we dive into the 
into his love and what it means to be his children? Are we going to develop hearts that are passionate about following him as a result of knowing him? And we're only going to discover that in his presence. Or are we going to think that somehow or another out here in the wilderness, away from him, away from other Christians, that we're going to all of a sudden wake up and go, you know, I think I'm ready to be a really good Christian now. That doesn't happen. You will fall in love with Jesus once you begin to understand how much he loves you. You'll begin to develop passion and excitement for Jesus when you realize that he is the holy God of Israel and by all rights, we should be smited. But he doesn't do that to his children who've called out to him in Christ. He has a tenderness and a kindness and a gentleness and a bruised reed, he says, he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And so for us, when we get to this place of we do the analysis and we go, wow, my health isn't great, we don't just beat ourselves up. We come to Jesus humbly and say, we need you to reignite in me the proper level of passion I should have for you. But it starts with him. And it starts with him working in us. And sometimes it's just one little step he may be asking you to make. That step could be a step of repentance where you stop depending on yourself and you start looking to him. Communion today I would encourage you that it is given for our repentance. And what I'm saying is, I'm not thinking about a particular sin that you or I are struggling with. I think generally speaking, it's the sin of just ignoring that he should be the one we're pursuing relationship, that we should want him more than we want him to do stuff for us, that we haven't really made the pursuit of knowing him the love of our life. And so all we can do is come to him and say, I recognize that this is true. Help me, Lord. Help me see who you are. Help me see who I am to you. Help me see what it means to be a valued child of God in Christ through the gospel that we see in this table. This is an invitation weekly to reconnect with the Lord in fellowship around his table in his presence. And I invite you to join me in praying as we prepare to do that this morning.